If you have your Bibles, we are now in Mark chapter 12. We've gone, we've come a long way, 12 weeks now in the, in the gospel of Mark. And, uh, and we, are, we arrive here on Father's Day in Mark chapter 12. And I want to just give us a quick recap of how we got to Mark 12. Last week, we talked about how Jesus in Mark 11 comes into Jerusalem and he says that all along that he was going to come to Jerusalem and this was going to be the final act of his ministry on earth, that he was going to come to Jerusalem to die for the sins of the world. And as he comes into Jerusalem, he's celebrated as a king. They, they, they shouted, Hosanna, blessed he who comes in the name of the Lord. But we know that people of fickle, five days later, some of these people would, crucif- would yell crucify him because they had the wrong concept of what a Messiah would be like. And Jesus didn't fit that narrative. And we talked about how it's not if, but it's when God doesn't meet your expectations. Do you still follow a God who has an expectation that may not fit yours, but his ways are higher than your ways. His thoughts are higher than your thoughts. Can you say amen? So he comes into Jerusalem, and, and, he, and he goes into the temple, and Jesus causes a ruckus at the temple. He drives out all of these merchants who have turned God's house into a place of business and transaction. He says, you turn into a den of thieves. He makes, he makes a whip. I want to make this clear, because I know we have selective hearing. Jesus did not whip anyone. He made whips. There was animals. He was driving them out of the temple. So what would Jesus do? He would not whip people. Just want to make that clear, because we have selective hearing. Pastor said Jesus made a whip. <laughs> okay. Just want to make that clear. Makes a whip, and he makes, the, he makes a powerful statement that all of this is futile, it's baseless, it's fruitless without the heart of God. He says, I want to put an end to fruitless religion. And out of that, the heat is intensified on his life because now these religious leaders really want to kill him because he's doing two things. He is, he's taken away from their popularity as the religious leaders. People are looking to Jesus. And number two, he hurts their bottom line because they were making money off the temple. And we talked about, thank God that doesn't happen anymore. People don't make money off of God anymore. Just for $2.99, you can get your blessings right now. Just call this number right now and we will. We, all right, I'm going to leave that alone. It's Father's Day. Let's keep, it, let's keep it going. The next several days of Jesus' life is, is, is mostly spent at the temple. For the next five days, he spends time going back to the temple, teaching and answering people's questions. And I hope you've been reading along because, my friends, it's impossible to cover all of it. If, if, honestly, if we were to go verse by verse, I guarantee you we could spend two years in the Gospel of Mark, breaking down every single thing. So I hope that you're taking time to read on your own and ask the Holy Spirit to, to teach you along the way. But after he clears the temple, they question his authority. They said, who are you to do these things? Like, who do you think you are coming in here and, and wreaking havoc and, and, and making people, you know, think about us wrongly? And, and because we've been saying this all along, that Jesus didn't fit the narrative of the religious leaders. And so they were questioning, how do you get your authority from? And if you missed Bible study on Wednesday, I talked about spiritual authority. Go back and check it out on our Bible, uh, Bible app, on TV app, or YouTube, or your mama's tube, whatever you choose to use to, to review. I should move this because... You guys are, you look distracted <laughs> by my type. They question his authority, and chapter 12 begins with Jesus giving a very strong parable where Jesus equates 
these religious leaders to evil farmers. He says, listen, there's a history here, a track record where God sends people to bless you and to lead you, to point in the right direction. You're supposed to be the farm where you produce the right fruits, but each time you, you have a way of killing all the messengers, all the prophets, and now you're going to kill the son. And the religious leaders knew, oh my God, he's talking about us. We really need to kill this guy now. And so they begin to, to turn up the heat on Jesus in the next few days. And the way they were trying to do it, please catch this, was that they knew that Jesus was famous with the crowd. They're like, we can't just, we can't just outright arrest him. We need to find motives and reasons to arrest him. And so they begin to plot ways to get to Jesus. And the Bible gives you some very interesting clues. It says people like the Pharisees and the Herodians who didn't like each other begin to co-sign each other on killing Jesus, which shows you the, the, the extent people will go to see your demise, that enemies will become friends on behalf of trying to ruin you. Now, that's a message in itself. Right? So they, like, they begin to, 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 to ask questions, but with ulterior motives. What can we do to pin this man? How can we, how can we trap him into doing something or to saying something that we can say, ah, there it is. Are you tracking with me? So in, in Mark 12, there's another series of questions, right? They've been doing this all along, but now it's intensified, right? They challenge his authority. He calls them evil farmers, and they like, okay, now let's find a way to really get to him. And so they bring up another trap. This time they were like, hey, what if we turn him on the government? And so they bring up a coin, a denarii, which, which has the, the, the image of Caesar in it because the Romans are under the, the oppression of, 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 of the empire and they pay taxes to Caesar and they hate that because here they are, God's people, being oppressed by the Romans and now there's a coin with Romans' face on it and they're not supposed to have any engraved images because you know the Ten Commandments, right? You're not supposed to have any engraved images. They're like, look, 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 look. Here's a coin with Caesar's face on it, Jesus. Should we pay taxes? This was not a genuine question. This was a question with a ulterior motive. Like, hey, can we trap him into saying something crazy so the Romans can have reasons to arrest him? Are you, are you tracking? And so they bring this to Jesus. And as usual, Jesus is so brilliant. Jesus says, hey, whose face is on this coin? They're like Caesar. So he said, well, why don't you give Caesar what is Caesar's, but give God's what is God's? But now, usually... The 21st sense interpretation of this is, you know, separate church and state, right? That's the usual interpretation of this, and I don't want to get into that because if we go there, this place is going to be divided. <laughs> and I don't need that on Father's Day. But I can tell you that the original context is always deeper than when we make it. So they come to him and says, look, 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 look. you pay taxes. He says, he says well, well, it's his face on it, so give to him what's his. But Jesus says, I'll come... Here's where you got to read the Bible a little bit deeper. you got to go to the deeper context. He says, how come you're not giving God what's God's? He says, here you are trying to trap me, but the problem is it's not Caesar. It's the fact that you don't have God in the rightful place in your life. When you don't have God in the rightful place in your life, then Caesar becomes a problem. And you wouldn't have Caesar in your life if God was in his rightful place all along in your history, Israel. Hello. Well. Hey, well. <laughs> it's always a good day when I get a well. Now I want to preach. <laughs> I 
I'm not supposed to have favorites, but man, you, 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 you. <laughs> so they go from that, right? They can't get him on this. They can't get him on the government thing. So they go to, now, now three enemies get together. Pharisees, Herodians, and Sadducees. Well, Pharisees and Sadducees have different theologies when it comes to resurrection. The Pharisees believe in the resurrections. The Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. So they're like, let's get him on that. So now they're like, hey, if someone dies and goes to heaven, but they were married, and then they got remarried, and they keep getting married, what would happen, Jesus? <laughs> yeah, go read it. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Who's, whose wife is she going to be in heaven? Jesus is like, y'all clearly don't know your Bible. God is not the God of the dead. He's the God of the living. He says he's, in, he's the God of, father of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And clearly you don't understand in the resurrection, there's no marriage or giving into marriage because you become greater than that. And God has a greater plan for you. You become like angels when it comes to heaven. Now they're like, this guy. We can't get this guy. Like, now the three enemies are like looking at each other like, we got to kill him. There's no other way. Like, we can't keep, seem to trap him in anything that we bring up. And so the Bible says, now you got to pay attention. The Bible says, now there was a constant questions and answering happening. It doesn't give you every single question. It doesn't give you every, every single answer. It says, hey, this is going on. This constant debate. In the middle of this is where I want to pick up. In the middle of this back and forth theological questions about life and government and politics and family and resurrection. In the middle of this, someone asked a question. That Jesus was like, finally, a real question with no ulterior motive. Finally, a genuine question. This is where I want to pick up. But I want to read from the message translation. Because sometimes when, you come, when, you, when you've been in church long enough and you come to a familiar passage, the problem is you become too familiar. So I'm hoping and praying we're going to get a fresh revelation here from this familiar passage. But it starts with a question, a genuine question. Watch this. Right? In Mark chapter 12, one of the religion scholars came up hearing the lively exchanges of questions and answers and seeing how sharp Jesus was in his answers. He put in his question. He's like, hey, I got a question. Which is most important of all the commandments? What a great question. He's like, y'all are spending a lot of time in this religious jargon. What's a sacrifice? What's the temple? What's Caesar? What's this? What's that? What's marriage? I got a question. Let's cut through all of that and get to the bottom line. What really matters is what he's asking. Like, what's the bottom line here, Jesus? Like, I want to know what really matters? It's like, if your house is on fire, what do you get first? Because that shows your priority. What really matters? The guy's like, man, I see a lot of questions, but I, I got a deeper question. I want to know what the bottom line is. Watch this. Jesus said, the first in importance is listen, Israel. The Lord your God is one. So love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence and energy. Keep going. And here is the second. Love others as well as you love yourself. There is no other commandment that ranks with these. The religion scholar said, a wonderful answer, teacher. So clear cut. 
inaccurate that God is one and there is no other and loving him with all passion and intelligence and energy and loving others as well as you love yourself. Keep going. Watch this. And he goes on. Why? There's, that's better than all offerings and sacrifices put together. In other words, it's all fruitless. It doesn't matter. When Jesus, watch this. When Jesus realized how insightful he was, he said, you're almost there. Right on the border of God's kingdom. I don't know about you. I want to be almost there. Right on the border of God's kingdom. After that, no one else dare ask a question. Because <laughs> he's like, let's get to the bottom line of this. My friends, I don't know about you. I pray today that our desire is to be at the borderline of God's kingdom. That we're asking the right questions. Can you say amen? So if you're taking notes, here we go. That was just introduction. That was free. I'm going to title this talk, Pegs. Or clothesline, pins, if you choose. <laughs> it's Father's Day, so I want to pay a quick tribute to my dad by telling you about a couple of things that I inherited from my dad. Number one is my love for soccer. Since I can remember being four or five years old, love watching soccer games with my dad. And because of my dad, I, I am today a proud fan of the greatest soccer team in the world named Benfica. Those who know, no. <laughs> the second thing I inherited from my dad is my love for music. My dad used to have, I don't know if you've ever seen this, this is a major throwback, right? He used to have this, this thing that looks like a suitcase, but it wasn't really a suitcase. It was a, a, a case that held cassette tapes on both sides of the suitcase. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Like you open one side, and there's, there's these things, these, these ancient things called cassette tapes. Remember cassette tapes, when we used to make mixtapes, when you listen to the radio and you, and you re press record, but you gotta stop right before the commercial hits so you can have a song saved. Millennials, Gen Z, look up cassette tapes. It was iPod way before iPods. And my dad had a suitcase full of tapes on both sides and my dad loved rock music. Believe it or not, your pastor Favorite band growing up was ACDC. I'm on my highway to heaven. Heaven. Mind you, I'm in Cape Verde. We barely know English. So I listen to ACDC, Motley Crue, Led Zeppelin, Pink Floyd. I even got into Metallica. Ew, like believe it or not. But this is how I grew up. I grew up listening to all of these amazing bands. And, but out of all of them, our favorite band was the goat of all bands called the Beatles. If you don't know the Beatles, I feel bad for you. Because you don't know good music. But the Beatles is arguably probably the greatest band of all time. And, and the next, you know, I know some of y'all will be like Rolling Stones and Pink Floyd. And you have your case, Aerosmith. Guns and Roses. But there's something about the Beatles, man. 
And if you know anything about history, you know the one time that they ruled the world. When it comes to music, Beatles was it. Like the Beatles was the band known everywhere. And if you know anything about the Beatles, you know that the bottom line of Beatles is, is baseline of every song is love. All you need is, here comes the, <laughs> yes. And my favorite, A Jude. That's my probably favorite Beatles song. And if you know anything about the Beatles, you know that, that, that John Lennon was the vocal singer, the band, until, you know, Yoko ruined everything. Yoko Ono, we're not going to get into it. <laughs> so where's the woman? No, 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 just scratch that, scratch that. I'm joking, I'm joking. It's Father's Day, give us something. Yes, just give us just a little something. But my dad had a friend who was one of those fanatics when it comes to the Beatles. Matter of fact, so fanatic that he named his son John Lennon. Fool, like John Lennon. He gave his son his last, first and last name. And this dude was so obsessed that we would go over his house and we would have Beatles like listening parties, right? We would just go and listen. And, and once he had a few Kool-Aids, He would start crying and weeping and going, I can't believe they killed him, man. They killed John. <laughs> he was one of those dudes. Just loved the Beatles. But you know, John Lennon wrote a powerful song. A song that is still relevant today. A song called Imagine. You know what I'm talking about? In that song, it was, it was John's way of appealing for world peace. Right? John Lennon says, imagine if, we, if, if there was no heaven above or, or hell below and, and, and all we had was here. And imagine if we would come together, right? And it's a beautiful, powerful melody. It's a beautiful song. And it's all about, like, man, imagine we just lived and coexisted and loved each other. And that's a beautiful thing. But, but, but interesting enough, the struggle that we always have as a human being is that we, we mean so well, but we always fall short. Why is it that we, we, we want this, this peace and love and harmony and coexisting, we want all of that, but, but it seems like it never seems to translate, and you got to ask the question, why? And I want to propose to you today that the problem is every time we look for love and every time we look for peace, we always seem to want to leave God out of it. And there's nothing new under the sun. If you look at every generation, there's always an appeal for peace and love and, and, and harmony. And, 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 and all the way from the beginning of time, we've been wanting this stuff. The problem is we keep trying to do it without God. That's our struggle. And why do I bring up music? Because music is the greatest way to convey a message. Plato says, if you want someone to pay attention to your message, put it through a song. And if you want to pay attention to what's happening in our culture, pay attention to the songs that are prominent. It's trying to tell you where people are and what they're thinking about and their worldview and their perspective. And everyone, I can guarantee you this, I don't care what style of music it is, the bottom line is we're trying to attain things that only we can get through God. That's our struggle when it comes to living life without the essence of life itself. There's only one problem in, in, in John Lennon's appeal and every other artist's appeal is, where is God? We left God out. 
We are still trying to leave God out today. But how do you live love without the source of love? How do you have love without the one who is love? I was trying to think, how do I illustrate this? It's like planet Earth saying, all I need is love. I don't need the sun. But we know that planet Earth cannot exist without the sun. Its energy comes from the sun. The place would not be able to sustain itself without the sun. That's still happening today. So today, you know, fast forward from the 60s, today we say things like, love is my religion. Or here's a famous bumper sticker right now. Love is love. And it sounds good. But where are we getting this love from? Because let's be honest, by nature, we're not very lovable people. We mean well, but we are very corrupt and flawed. Matter of fact, normally when we say love, we mean my conditional love. When I say tolerance, I mean until you jack me up. If if your understanding of love infringes on my tolerance, all hell about to break loose. Because what we say love, what we actually mean is my interpretation of love, my version of love, my selfish understanding of love. Because let's be honest, let's be honest, let's be honest, let's be honest, we mean well, but we're not good at executing. So right now, if, if I say something that Twitter doesn't agree with, I get canceled. Because I didn't, I didn't fit the narrative of what love looks like in your worldview, in your perspective. Some of y'all will leave this place today in the parking lot, someone will cut you off, all love will go out the window. Because let's be honest, we love those who love us and agree with us. Our love at best is very conditional and it's very feelings driven. That's why people say things like, we were married for 12 years but we fell out of love. Wait, there's a ladder? I didn't know. I, I thought it was a commitment. I thought it was a decision. I thought it was a choice. I thought it was a verb. Not a feeling. So what does Jesus do? The man asks a very important question. He says, Jesus, give us the bottom line. What is the most important thing? You know what Jesus does? Jesus refers them all the way back to the beginning. Says, can I point you back to the most ancient prayer that you have in your Bibles? It's called the Shema in Hebrew. It's the most ancient Jewish prayer in the entire Jewish tradition. And it's a prayer that an Orthodox Jew is supposed to recite the moment he wakes up in the morning and when he goes to bed. 
This Shema is Jesus' way of quoting Deuteronomy. If you pay attention to Jesus' teachings, he quotes Deuteronomy a lot. Why? Because Deuteronomy was the baseline of their existence. When God took them out of Egypt, it says, this is the kind of people you're going to be. And he says this in Deuteronomy 6. This is what Jesus is quoting. Look, watch this. Listen. The word listen means Shema in Hebrew. Israel, the Lord is our God. The Lord alone. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. He says that's the baseline of life. To love God with all your heart, my soul, and strength means to love God with your entire being. It's the oldest prayer. This is where I wish I spoke Hebrew because I love the Hebrew language. Last night I was actually looking up how to say this prayer in Hebrew. And I wrote down the first part of it. Just the first part of it says this. This is how it sounds in Hebrew. Shema Israel Adonai Eloheinu Adonai Ihai. Listen, O Israel, the Lord God is the Lord alone. And you're supposed to start your way each day that way because you are centering yourself with the reality of life itself. Theologians say the heart is mentioned first because it's the seat of emotions. Generally, and in, in, in love in particular starts with your heart, your being. Then follows the soul as a center of personality in men. To depict the love as pervading the entire self-consciousness starts with the heart and it goes into the soul and it goes into your passion, it goes into your energy. And that's how you love God with all your strength. And if you have that in place, he says, then you're not far from what really matters. Now, Jesus, as usual, always takes things a step further. Jesus says, you must love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, but then love your neighbor as you love yourself. And what's crazy, Jesus says, if you do those two things, that's what summarizes the entire Bible. In other words, it's like, hey, you got a, you got a compilation of books? Can I, can I turn it into a brochure? Can you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength and love your neighbor as yourself? If you do so, you're not very far from the kingdom of God. So imagine if John Lennon's song pointed to this reality. Imagine if there was a song that points to the reality of if you love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, love your neighbor as yourself, you're not far from the kingdom of God. Because that's God's dream for humanity. And obviously when I say that, it sounds so simple, but yet we know how complicated and far-fetched that is. We actually find this to be so simple that I struggle to share this message with you because it sounds so elementary that, that, that it's, it, we, we turn it into a cliche. And, 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 and bottom line is, when, when I share this message, I think some of us are asking, well, yeah, but what else you got? But the problem is Jesus is saying, no, no, that, that's actually the point. That, that, that if you're missing this, you're missing everything else. Like, like, like if you move on quickly from this because it sounds elementary, it sounds cliche, everything else that you're asking misses the point of why you're asking it in the first place. 
And what I'm seeing is, because we don't have this as a baseline, every question that we're asking is, 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 is skewed. Because everything that we are and should be, should be a, built upon this reality that is so powerful that it's like you need to start your day every day with this reality. That if you miss the bottom line of this, everything else goes astray. And I want to believe, my friends, that we're here because, like this man who asked this question, I want to believe that we're here with a genuine desire to pursue God. I want to believe that, that we haven't bought into other narratives for what this thing is all about. I want to go on a limb and say that we dare to believe Jesus and want to pursue him and his will. And if Jesus says, that's the bottom line, then I should be concerned with that. I shouldn't be quick to move on from that and make other things about a line because the more I'm doing that, the more of a mess I'm creating. And I'm seeing even religious people asking all the wrong questions. And we wonder why we end up with the wrong answers. If we don't start with this baseline, everything else is off. It's like building a house without the proper cornerstone. I don't know about you, I can't make anyone else believe, but I believe. I can't make anyone else imagine, but I do imagine. I don't want to just believe, though. I want to live this truth of loving God and people well. That for me, I want to ask the question, God, what does that look like practically? Because it seems to me that God really wants men to love him. Sounds so simple, but so difficult. Here's the reality, my friends. If all we do is religion, we can obey God without loving him. But if we do love him, obedience will follow. And we all, it's Father's Day, we all have been in homes where obedience was required, but there was no love attached to it. And what happens after a while when you live in an environment where everything else is asked of you without the baseline of love, you get to a certain age and you're like, peace, I'm out. I don't want any part of this anymore. Why? Because I didn't see the love attached to the obedience that was required. And what happens is, as kids, we grow up this way, and then this thing never gets checked, and we end up making all the decisions based on all the wrong baselines including religious questions that we have. I'm seeing it right now where people who call themselves followers of Jesus asking all the wrong questions that's leading to division, that's leading to turmoil, that's leading to people separate from each other as opposed to coming together and bridge the gap and saying, I love God and you love God and we may have differences, but the baseline is his love. My friends, it's the first commandment in regard to age. Before Adam and Eve had any other command, all God wanted was for them to love him back. You have to understand this. God is sovereign. God is more powerful. God is omnipotent. But when God created humanity, God became vulnerable. Because he created you with free will and he can't make you, force you to love him. And if you don't know that reality, then you're not a parent. 
If you ever wonder what free will is like, be a parent. You live with that reality, I have kids right now, and I know that at some point in their lives, they're going to be old enough to make their own decisions. And if you don't believe in free will, have children. If you don't believe that you're a sinner, hang out with the children, with the kid. Like, no one can tell me original sin is not real. I got kids. No one thought them to lie and to try to get away with things. It's in there to be selfish. It's mine. Problem is those kids grow up. And we're still going, it's mine. It's mine. We wonder why our relationships don't work. It's mine. You know why our parenting is weird? It's mine. This, that, kid, that little kid is still in there. Demanding his way. Where the baseline is not love. We end up being jacked up. And you know how, the, how it goes, right? Hurt people. Hurt people. But you know what? Heal people can help to heal people too. It's also the first command in regard to priority. What do you prioritize? Every other act of obedience is empty if we do not love God first. That's why that man was close to the kingdom because he's like, man, so that means I can offer all the sacrifices in the world and mean nothing. And Jesus is like, yep, that's the point. Your baseline is not in love with your father, with your creator. So I got a question for you. I want you to wrestle with this question if you're taking notes. What do you think about when you think about God? And I'm not asking for your cliche answer. I'm asking you truly though, what do you think about when you think about God? That's a very important question. Here's why this is a very important question. Because that question, the answer to that question depends on the theology that you have developed over the years starting with your bringing. And indirectly, that question right now is affecting your decision making. Matter of fact, it's affecting your psyche. And it's affecting how you treat other people. Let me dig a little deeper. The question affects how you live and how you treat others. Here's why. Because if you see God first and foremost as a judge, then your baseline is judgment. Is judgment. So all you do is see yourself as someone who is worthy of judgment and other people as well. Because what you believe about God, you will project onto others. Now, is God a judge? Yes, the Bible says he's a judge. But everything that God does starts with his baseline of love. The Bible says even when he disciplines you, it's because he loves you. And if you don't understand that, you think he's punishing you as opposed to disciplining you. Listen, if you, I had, a, I had a, a student in seventh grade who one time she said to me, she said, my mom told me when I misbehave, God is mad at me, he's going to throw rocks at me. And I'm like, someone used to call DCF because <laughs> that's spiritual child abuse. Because that seventh grader is going to grow up thinking God 
is angry at me and he's mad at me. And every time I do something wrong, he's here to punish me. So she doesn't have the baseline of love, understanding. No, no, no. God is love first. Even in his judgment, God is loving you. Those seventh graders grow up. And some of us grew up in homes. And worse, we grew up in churches where God, the baseline of God was judgment, not love. So here we are, 30, 40 years old, still struggling with who God really is. And I pray he brought you today to tell you, no, 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 I am a father who loves you. Even when I correct you, I love you. Even when I rebuke you, I love you. Because if you don't correct the theology, you will be a parent who punishes but doesn't discipline. Here's another one. If you see God as a distant entity, like a deity who created the world and then, and then, and then, and then just let things roll, then, then you live that way. Then you think, yeah, there is a God, but I, I'm, I'm on my own. I got to figure things out on my own. Because, you know, we quote the Bible verse that doesn't exist. God helps those who help themselves. Not in the Bible. <laughs> we came up with that out of God is a distant God. I don't, know, I have a, I don't have a personal relationship with him. But he says, no, I'm a father. I'm a, I'm a father who is closer than a brother. He even says, even if your mom and dad forsake you, I won't forsake you. Because I'm a loving, faithful father. If you see God just as a religious figure that you have to appease his conscience every Sunday, then you, you, you go to church just to try to appease your conscience, but you don't go to church to try to find your father. So what you think about God matters. Because it's affecting your decisions right now as we speak. My friends, hear me on this. A skewed version of God leads to a skewed version of life and a skewed version of how you treat others. We need to go back to the baseline that God is love. Watch this, 1 John. Let me remind you. But anyone who does not love does not know God, for God is my friends, God is love. God is not trying to be love. God is not conjuring up love. God doesn't have to feel to love. God is love. And God doesn't love with feelings. God loves with action. God loves sacrificially. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. Yes. That's the God that this Bible talks about. God wants you to love him back because you want to love him back. Because you're choosing to use your free will to love him back. Just like we want others to love us just because. I want my children to love me because we've developed a relationship with them. I don't want them to love me just because I'm their father figure. I want to be their father that we have a relationship with. And I know that's hard because a lot of us didn't grow up with that. But guess what? That's why God saves you and says and redeems you. He says, now it's a new reality for you. Now live under that glove that I've blessed you with and go love your children the way that I love you. Yeah. 
My friends, please get this. Obedience is a byproduct of love, not the other way around. You know what I challenge my kids with all the time? And I pray they get in it because they're knuckleheads. Please pray for them. <laughs> I challenge them with all the time. I said, I want you to be the kind of person that does the right thing when I'm not around. Because then I'll know something is really real in you. And I say that with tears in my eyes because they're kids. I just pray that we give them enough foundation to know this is the right thing to do. My dad doesn't have to be around for me to do the right thing. I'm telling you, man, it sounds so basic, and I struggle with this teaching because I know that our familiarity gets the best of us. But what I'm seeing is, I'm seeing, I don't know if you'll get this analogy if you understand sports, <laughs> but I'm seeing a lot of people jacking up threes because they saw Steph Curry do it, but they don't know how to dribble. That's what living Christianity without this. You can't shoot threes if you don't know how to dribble and make a layup. Matter of fact, you're a better player if you have the fundamentals in place. So you can't skip the basics to get the threes. <laughs> that's a word. Right? I'm, asking, I'm telling you, people are asking crazy theological questions. Who is the false teacher? Who is this? What's the right church? What's this? But no one's asking, what's the bottom line, God? What's the bottom line? Shooting threes, making nothing but air balls. Because we don't have the bottom line. We don't have the foundation. I tell my son, I know you love Steph Curry, but look at Kawhi. <laughs> look at Tim Duncan. Never mind. That's, that's for some people. That's not for everybody. <laughs> Listen, please hear me on this. This is so important. Theology without the baseline of love is dangerous. It makes people judgmental, cynical, and worse, it makes you feel like you're superior to others, like the Pharisees felt like they were superior to Jesus. It makes you walk around with your nose stuck up, and you think, like in the South, they say, you think you're so such a much. You ever heard that? <laughs> I heard that's a South saying. Because you know some, remember, they knew the Torah but they missed the Shema. They missed the heart. Please, church, let's not miss the heart. Because it would be pointless to get everything else but miss the bottom line, the baseline of all of this. See, it, our problem is, my friends, let's be honest, our problem is we mean well, but we are fickle idolaters. All of us. We fall in love easily with things that are less than who God is. We turn good things, get this, into God's. Things that God gave us to enjoy becomes idols in our hearts. We put things, we put family over God. We put careers over God. We put money over God. We put success over God, we'll put sports over God, we'll put sex over God, we'll put work over God, and say we're doing it in the name of God. Fruitless, baseless religion. 
When we don't love God properly, we fail to love ourselves and others properly. So the very thing you say you're doing for God ends up being something that's keeping you from the people that you think you're doing it for. We squander the very things God gave us to enjoy. I've seen people have children that God blessed them with, and they stopped serving God because they made their children the God. And now they're going to learn, oh, this is how you live. You, 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 once you have family and you have kids, you don't serve anybody else, you don't do anything else because you become the God. A good thing turns into an idol. We fail to see each other through God's unconditional love. And when we do that, we turn on each other. The greatest wars in the world have started over religion without the heart of God. There are family members who won't talk to each other because of theological differences. There are Christians who turn on Christians over theological differences, but with no baseline of love. But we're doing it in the name of God. We don't know what true love is without God. We have no point of reference except for our own selfish desires and feelings. That becomes the baseline for what love is love. No, that's just your feelings. My friends, according to scriptures, love is a verb. I'm going to conclude by sharing something that's so heavy and so real. I love the Bible. Paul the Apostle wrote a letter to a church in a city named Corinth. This city reminds me so much of us because it's a port city, a Greek city. And you know what happens in port cities. A lot of things go bump in the night. I know we're in church, but we can be honest. <laughs> but people were getting saved in this city. And they were coming to the church, but they were coming with their own understanding of what this thing looks like. Because when you come from the world, you just have worldly mindsets. Paul writes letters to say, no, 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 now that you are saved, you live different. Your baseline now is different. And you treat each other different. But this church gives me a lot of hope. You know why? Because it, it, it takes away the romanticized idea of church, where people think church is going to be perfect. No, no, church is full of messy people. And if those messy people don't get under the umbrella of Jesus' love, then that messiness becomes hypocrisy. So in this church, this was a very talented, charismatic, gifted church. Paul writes a whole letter trying to bring them together. Why? Because they allowed their differences to be the baseline as opposed to what unite them. So every chapter, go read it for yourself, Paul is saying, no, 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 you are now under the umbrella of Jesus Christ, you shouldn't be divided. Because they were taking sides. Hey, I'm with Paul. No, I'm with Peter. No, I'm with Jesus. Paul's like, we're all under Jesus. What are you talking about? Paul's like, y'all are taking each other to court as opposed to settling your dispute like God's people should. And then they get into like, who's most talented? Some of them are like, hey, I am more spiritual than you because I speak in tongues. Some of them are like, no, I prophesy. I'm way more spiritual than you. Some are like, no, I'm more hospital than all of y'all. Look how many people I have over my house. 
And they're fighting and biting and arguing and devouring each other because the baseline was not love. So what does Paul do? Paul writes this letter to explain to them, hey, you got to come together. You are God's people. And he gets to chapter 13. After he expounds on all these different issues, he says, i got to show you a better way, guys. And we usually we read this in marriages, and we should, and it's awesome for weddings. But Paul was talking about church community. And he writes probably, arguably, the greatest lyrics that should be put to a song. Paul says this in Corinthians, watch this, he says, If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. Paul was like, go ahead, speak in tongues all you want. Are you loving? Because if not, you're just making a lot of noise. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans and possessed all knowledge and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't love others, I would be nothing. Paul's like, go ahead, use your faith, use your prophetic words, but are you loving? Because it means jack if it's not rooted in God's love. Then he goes on, watch this. If I gave every, watch this is crazy. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it, but if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. Paul's like, you can even be a martyr, give your life and still gain nothing because your baseline was not love. Watch this. Love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. It does not demand its own weight. It is not irritable. It keeps no record of, wrong, of being wronged. It does not rejoice about injustice, but rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Keep going. Love never gives up. Love never loses faith. Always hopeful and endures through every circumstance. Prophecy and speaking in unknown language and special knowledge will become useless, but love will last forever. I've read the Bible so many times, all of it, but every time I get to this passage, I feel this small. Because I'm like, man, is this, is this the baseline of my life? I could be a great preacher and still miss it. God, is this the baseline? Because it's one thing to read it and, and, and feel the romance of it. Oh my gosh, love is beautiful. Love is this. And, but it's like, is that the reality that I'm living? Let me, let, me, let, me, let, me, let me show you what I mean. Go back to the scripture. Go back. I, I did this exercise and I encourage you to do it. Replace the word love with your name. Watch this. Marco is patient and kind. Where's my wife? Watch this. Marco is not jealous or boastful or proud or rude. Where, 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 where are my kids? Marco does not demand his own way. Where's my social media account? Marco is not irritable. Where are my leaders? Marco keeps no record of being wronged. Where are my haters? Marco doesn't rejoice about injustice unless it's done to him. 
Marco rejoices whenever the truth wins out. Keep going. Marco never gives up. Oh, Marco never loses faith, except on Mondays. <laughs> Marco is always hopeful. Marco endures through every circumstance. Is this what we're going for? Because it makes me feel this small. But the beauty of this, it's supposed to. It's to make a point. You can't do it without God, who is love. That's why he says to that man, and I pray he says to us today, you're not that far from the kingdom if you focus on this baseline. To love God and to love others. Imagine if we lived, forget the world, forget the world. Imagine if we lived as New Life South Coast with this baseline. A community of people who truly love Jesus and love each other. Not mushy feeling driven love, but sacrificial love. Love that puts others in front. Love who celebrates others. See, his response was right on the mark. That's why Jesus was like, man, finally someone with a good question. Finally someone who is pursuing the real thing, not religion. A thousand empty burnt offerings do not mean more to God than a single act of love done in his name. Which leads us to here. And ADD people, I'm glad you hung in there. <laughs> the point of this, my friends, is that in the Gospel of Matthew, same passage, Matthew adds a little detail. A little detail that makes all the difference in the world. Watch this. In Matthew, Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all your passion and prayer and intelligence. This is the most important the first of any list. But there is a second set alongside. Love others as well as you love yourself. These two commands are pegs or clothespins. Everything in God's law and the prophet hangs from them. Jesus is saying, those are the two pegs of everything. With all due respect to John Lennon, John Lennon, it's hard for me to love people when I don't love God. Because I don't have what it takes to love people the way they're supposed to be loved. With all due respect to religious people, you can say you love God, but you only show that you love God by loving people. A lot of people say they love God, but it's like, where, where's the beef? Can't have one or the other. You got to have both. They play off each other. And everything that Paul explains in Corinthians is an action, not a feeling. If I wait till I feel like it, I will never love those who I disagree with. If I wait till I feel like it, there's a lot of ministry we would not do. I invited a homeless man to church yesterday. And his answer broke my heart. Not the first time I'm hearing it, but I was preparing for this message. He said, can I come like this? I said, sir, look at me. <laughs> That's how I go. 
But you know that, it breaks my heart because for him, oh, I know what the baseline is of some churches. So I got a challenge for us. I gave you this. It may sound silly, but a lot of faith things are silly. Because the truth is, God just wants to know, would you obey me? You love me enough to obey me. So I gave you this for a couple of reasons. One, I hope you keep this all week long. Some of you are fidgety. Here's something to play with. I hope you, you take it to work with you. Put it on your cubicle. I hope you, you, you see it every day. And I hope it leads you to the Shema. I hope it leads you to remember. It's about loving God with all my heart. Love. So, I mean, all my soul and strength to love my neighbors, myself. And I hope that you keep this long enough that I'm praying that this happens to you during this week. I'm praying that you have this long enough all week long. You took it with you everywhere. That someone somewhere is going to say, What's the, what, what is it with this thing? I've seen you with it all week long. I hope that there's your divine appointment to say, let me tell you about the greatest love. Let me tell you why I'm, I'm, I have this in my hand right now. Because here's the thing. If God's not the baseline, you're never going to be thinking about that person the way God does. And I believe this. God sets up people around you for you to love them, but because you're too busy with yourself, you miss the appointments that God's given you to love people well. So let's stand as we pray this morning. I pray you do your best to not let familiarity dismiss this message. But Jesus said, you're not far from the kingdom. I don't know about you, man. It's like, man, that's, that's what I want to be. Not far from the kingdom. Because I'm choosing to love God with all my heart, soul, and strength. And I'm choosing to love my neighbor as I love myself. And it's impossible to love my neighbor well if I don't love myself well. So as we've been doing... We're going to create space. We're going to make room for God to minister to us because we, we don't have this love. Our love is very conditional and very shaky at best. But with his love, we can go home and be the fathers he called us to be, the husbands, the employees, the pillars of our society, the way he calls us to be. So as we do this song, it's an invitation to come and say, God, I'm making room. I'm making room because I know I can't do this on my own. Would you pray with me? Father, I pray right now that your Holy Spirit is confirming your word in each and every one of our hearts. And that your Holy Spirit is coming to fill us. I pray you fill us to the brim that we overflow with your love. That the baseline of our lives is sacrificial love. It's not feelings. It's a verb. God, I pray shape us to be the community that Paul defines in Corinthians. A group of people who are saying to God, I love you with all my heart, soul, and strength, and I love my neighbors myself. I pray today we are being filled in a fresh way to go out to love well. So Holy Spirit, come and have your way. As we worship you, fill our hearts, we pray. In Jesus' name, let's worship. We hope this talk has encouraged and challenged you. If it was helpful, share with a friend. For more info, visit newlifesouthcoast.com. Until next time, have a blessed week.